this morning is a special morning. And I'm here to tell you a little story. And I tell it to you from the bottom of my heart. And I tell it to you because it's where my heart is. It's where my life is at. It's what is the most important thing in my existence. You'll see protocom filled with helium balloons and different colors. And when you walked in, there were beautiful doilies that were made uh, by our sister Rodriguez. And uh, all that was handmade with the fruit of the spirit. And the theme this day is Children's Day. I want to tell you why I'm heavy with Children's Day. Because in the book of Exodus, it tells us that when Moses came down from the mountain to find the people of Israel because of their fear, because 40 days and 40 nights had gone by and Moses had not descended. And the place was very eerie. It was a mountain that smoked and trembled. A mountain covered with a thick cloud. A mountain that they'd already been told that if man or animal touched it, they would die. So the situation there was a very frightening situation. I want you to know that. When we're afraid and when we fear, tremendous things take hold of our mind. Because when we fear, no matter how much someone tells us, it's going to be all right. Our fear tells us it's not all right. And no matter how many sweet, consoling cards you get, somehow or other, they don't speak truth to us. The fear that filled the children of Israel is a fear that anybody can have. And it's important that we see it that way. And with their fear, the major fear was the man that had the word from God wasn't there. And if he wasn't there, their God wasn't there. That's why in life, you've got to get over the vision of the person and move into the reality of God who is spirit. We've got to. I know leaders are placed by God. I know men are blessed by God in leadership and women. I know that. But they're only there for a directive force. They're only there to give forth truth. But truth itself is Jesus Christ. Truth itself is God. So if they're not serving as a conduit, if they're not serving as a channel, if they're not serving as a vein through which blood will flow, they're not doing their job. The man or the woman is not the force. 
is not the end of the situation. They could not see Moses, so they couldn't see God. And let me tell you something, God was more visible than Moses. Because a mountain that trembles and a presence so powerful had to be tremendous truth that God was there. You'd say, yes, but the manifestation was, was fiery and was fearful and was one that would impact the presence of fear into the heart. Well, when Moses did come down, what he found were a people that in their confusion screamed out to Aaron and said, he's gone, we need a God. You see, that's an instinct. That's innate. Wherever you go and you find mankind, you will find they are worshiping. Not necessarily worshiping what is right and correct, but they are worshiping. Because the instinct to worship is innate. Some have transferred it to loved ones. Some have transferred it to children. Some have transferred it to artistry. Some have transferred it to their life's work. But in everybody's heart, there's an altar. And in everybody's heart, there's worship. And sometimes we have to decipher and make up our mind, what are we worshiping? Well, they didn't have a fixture, and they wanted one. And they said to Moses, make us an object of worship. And you know what they did? They made a golden calf of all the jewelry that they had gathered into the melting pot. And having very brilliant people among them, it was melted, it was molded, it was polished, shaped and polished. And there it came. And then they put those energies that are hidden in man. But when those energies get depraved, whoo, what a direction they take. Not upward, but inward. You see, when worship is upward toward God, it kind of lets out so much of our ugliness. It really does. When our worship is toward God, there's a purifying factor in our worship. But when worship turns within or over a person or a child or an article or an instrument or a job or a place or a building, it can get so horribly depraved. And their worship was inward. They wanted to satisfy a craving, but not God's way. And that's why people are sick in this world. There are innate cravings. There are innate desires, which have got to be given to God. Because if you keep them within, and if you deal with them on a humanistic level alone, it will take you to the pit of debauchery. And so they started their worship. And it was a horrendous worship that went from bad to worse. The Hebrew scriptures, in the language of Hebrew, 
said it ended up being a complete scene of orgies and men gone wild and women gone wild. You know, folks, you've got to watch out with your emotions. If our emotions are not given to God, and if our emotions don't rise to God, we can turn those emotions into filth. And that's why it's so important to understand holiness, not in the light of what a church tells you to be holy, but in the light of what the Holy Spirit says is holy. That is terribly important. Churches may have lists from the top to the bottom that says no, 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 no. Now we still abide by the Ten Commandments and we still abide by the Sermon on the Mount. And that's across the board. Across the board it is. It's the little innuendos. It's the little things in your life that you've got to deal with God directly and the Holy Spirit will deal with you. And I'm going to let you in on a big secret this morning. There are things that I can do that you can't. Ha ha. Let me laugh a little. There are things that you can do that I can't do. Do you hear me? Only because of my place. Unto whom much is given, much is required. Moses didn't enter the promised land because he struck a rock. Because he got angry. The word in Spanish is he had a rabieta. Yeah, he had an angry moment. And I would say to God, he was pastoring two million people. I'd get angry too. I would say to God, give him a break. I would say to God, what's the matter with you? And God would answer me in solemn tones, unto whom much is given, much is required. That's the way it goes. Moses looked at Aaron and saw the children of Israel. And Moses said to Aaron, I can't believe what my eyes are seeing. And he says to Aaron, how did this happen? I love Aaron's answer. Aaron says, I don't know. We threw the jewelry in a pot and the calf came out. We'd like to think that that's the way everything happens. Isn't it the truth? We threw it into a pot and it came out. No. No. What, had, what got, went into the pot, first of all, had to be picked and given. Had to be melted. Had to be molded. Had to be shaped. Had to be polished. Had to be placed. Had to be lifted up. Had to be acknowledged as the figure it would be, okay? Sister Amy, what are you saying? I'm saying this, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. We're living in some sad days. I don't know about you, but the incidents, whether they be with whites or whether they be with blacks, whether they be with Hispanics or whether they be with whoever else is around, when I look at the situations, 
And everybody says, well, <laughs> let's blame it on the fact that they're minorities. Let's blame it on the fact that they've had nothing. Let's blame it on the fact of poor housing. Let's blame it on the fact of, hey, go down the line. Not enough welfare. Let, let, give, give all the complaints we could possibly give. And then say, that's why we have young people that sit in the classroom and their conversation is how big their guns are. Can you handle a magnum so-and-so? Can you handle a 38? Can you handle a this? Can you handle... <clears throat> I don't want to sound stupid, but the biggest thing I ever handled in school 50 years ago were baseball cards. And you bought them for a penny with some bubble gum. And I used them to get the answers from the boys that were good in math. I would collect the cards and give them cards for answers to tests in math. I mean, this I was a slick character, okay? These were the big exchanges, you know. When I walked in, they'd say, how many cards you got today? I said, I don't know, I gotta check it out. There were no tests, they got no cards. I'm frightened. I think you're frightened. We're frightened to the point that we don't want our kids in public schools. We're going to look for a special school. We're going to look for someplace else. And I share with you this morning this. That doesn't just happen. It's molded. It's melted. It's shaped. And it comes to be. And I want to tell you this morning, I am on an open warfare. You see, I can't take care of the world, I know that. I've learned it the hard way. I can't take care of everybody's children. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take care of the children at Crossroads. And I'm gonna take care of the children in my world. And I'm gonna take care of the children that I can reach right up there at 1246 Castle Hill Avenue. Are you hearing me? And you say, well, what can you do against the molding and the shaping that's been done? I can do something. I can impede the way of sin. I can. I can get to the heart of children. I can get to the heart of parents. We can stem the tide of sin. We can conquer little children for Jesus. And I'm determined. I am determined. You say, sister, then you think that this uh, situation of our children today has to do with the way they're brought up. It has to do the way they're nurtured. It, it most certainly does. It most certainly does. As a chaplain at Bedford Hills, you know what I found out? I found out something terribly sad. I had very few atheists in Bedford Hills. Matter of fact, I don't remember a one. I remember women that could lead a service better than I could. And I once shared with you the time that they went on strike against me because I wouldn't let the spirit move. No, I just wouldn't let the service be a three ring circus. 
That's what I wouldn't let happen. And I won't let it happen here either. I won't let it happen. Because that's not what a church service is all about. A church service is for edification. And we will learn edification. We will learn it through the word of God. But what I'm trying to bring out to you is that I had in my hands 450 women that had been to church. But very few of them have ever, ever met Christ. So once again, I say to you, we will stem. We will stem the tide by introducing our children, our neighborhood children, and the children in our world, your world, your little world, I don't care who it is. Is it nieces? Is it nephews? Is it grandchildren? Is it friends' children? It's people that come by you. We will stem the tide. We will stem it through the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, the calf doesn't just come to be. It's melted, it's molded, and it's lifted up. And I share with you this day that by God's grace, we are going to work it out. We are going to work it out. This is a little story. It's my story. I was five years old. My brother Bob that's sitting there was one year old. Stella was four. Ralph was going on seven. Just the family of four, the Garcias. Mom was not well. Our early years, we never knew a well mother. Mom was very sick. And it was through illness that she got to know the Lord. But I'll always remember, you've got to forgive the lump in my throat. I'll always remember my father on Sunday mornings. There was a ritual in the house. It's the funniest ritual in the world. My father loved the dry herring, okay? On Saturday morning, my father would always buy una arenca, a dry herring, okay? And my father would always buy a piece of black pumpernickel bread, just a piece, because he was the only one that ate it. And he would get up on Sunday mornings and he would have his black coffee with his dried herring. Doria, you don't like the taste of that breakfast? It's okay. His dry herring and his black bread. And I remember sitting in a chair and the apartment was on Intervale Avenue. My dad would get through with his ritual and then he had his second ritual and it was getting us all ready for church. This is very interesting. And he would dress us. Dad was good because dad did a lot. Mom, I told you, mom, main, main time, mom was sick. I always remember, I, I know it's not right, and right now it's, uh, maybe I shouldn't even say it, but I remember my father would line us all up in the tub because he couldn't be bothered with bathing one at a time. So he stood the four of us up. And I want you to know something about my father's hands. They were like Brillo. He worked on metals and his hands were always coarse. And when my father washed you down, you were washed. 
you know. Then he'd pull us all out and dry us up and get us ready for church. You know, my first treasure in life oh, was that little Presbyterian church. It's still there on Prospect Avenue. And they would have a Spanish Sunday school. And that's going way back to 1935 or 6, 36. They would have this little Spanish. And my first love wasn't the Bible. It wasn't God. It wasn't the church. It was an oak chair that size, okay? May I have one of those chairs? May I have that red chair? There's a little boy there. Uh, thank you. I need the chair. was a little chair like this, only it was oak. You know, those tiny, real sturdy oak chairs. When I walked into Sunday school, the teacher said to me, Esa es tu silla. That's your chair. I'd never owned a chair. And when I looked at it, I said, that's my chair? And I looked at her, I said, Mia? She says, yeah. I kind of wanted to take it home with me. But she promised me that every Sunday that I came, the chair would be mine. So I had a romance with a chair. And it was such a beautiful romance. Because every single Sunday, my father would take us, and I had my chair. And I loved it. But what I didn't realize was that although the most important thing to me was a possession, because I never owned a possession, something was happening. There was a place called God's house, and there was a little chair in God's house, and there was a teacher that told me about God, gave me little pieces of paper with beautiful little pictures on it, and I would take it home and tell my father and mother everything that they had told me in Sunday school. That was the beginning, 1935. 1939, this is interesting. Oh, this is good news. I got big news for you this morning. We had to move out of Kelly Street because we were Puerto Rican. Come on, laugh. Kelly Street. Do you know what Kelly Street is? Yeah, we had to move out because we were Puerto Rican. We were spoiling the neighborhood. And we humbly moved out. All the way to 136th Street and Brook Avenue. And then it was so interesting. My mother got the apartment and said she had two children. Two of us were sneaked in at night. We ended up with four children. But that's okay, that's the way everybody did things, so we, uh, we went along with that way, the only way to get an apartment. I'm leading up to tell you that at that time, my father once again looked for the most important thing in his life and in our life and found us a little church. It was called St. Peter's Lutheran Church on the top of the hill of Brown Place in 137th Street. And he took us in. They didn't have little chairs. They had these chairs that were tied together and you made little boxes out of them. And I went in, and once again, I was in the beautiful surroundings of a place where they told me about God. He seemed terribly far away, but it was a place that week after week, I found out that it was different. And I found out that what they were telling me I'd never heard before. And at that tender age, 1939, I was 10 years old. But I got there at 1930, I got there two years before, 1937. And what I heard was so good, I remember I would go down into the neighborhood 
And I would tell the little boys and girls, I said, listen, there's a place where they give you a book, they give you coloring crayons, and they tell you about God. And not only that, once a year there's a day that's called Children's Day. It belongs to us. And you know what they give you that day? They give you candy and they give you flowers. The first buds of spring that came out, every kid got a bunch of daisies on Children's Day. And we got 1939 came around. And on the Sunday of Children's Day or whatever day it was, Pastor Arthur S. Hardy called me up. It was 1939. Handed me a Bible. And it said, given to Amy Garcia, this day, 1939, for bringing the largest number of children to our Sunday school. Signed, Pastor Arthur S. Hardy. Now, if that wasn't prophetic, Nothing in the world has ever been prophetic for me. I was a child that was blessed by churches. Blessed first by the Presbyterian church in a little oak chair. Then I went on to be blessed by a Lutheran church that blessed me and made me know that other children should know. Then I was blessed because they sent me to camp and it's the first time I ever knew about camp, Camp Wilbur Hurlick in Towners, New York. I remember singing all the songs. I didn't know then I couldn't sing because I always sang. Three cheers now we give for Towners and the friends we love so well. I learned all the songs. And that's where I first learned, into my heart, into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. It was four years later that they opened up a little mission between 136th Street, between Brook and St. Anne's on 136th Street. And it was in that little mission that my mother went in. Oh, it was so, it was so interesting. We in the neighborhood, because it was a small Spanish mission, it was not a Spanish neighborhood. And all the kids would get together at night and say, listen, there's a certain time in their service when everybody talks at once. They meant prayer time and worship time. He says, at that time we open the door and we throw everything we can find in and then we run away. What fun. The little missionary ladies were taking my mother there. All I can think of was my sick mother going into a place where they're going to open the doors at 9 o'clock and barrage it with potatoes and rotten tomatoes and rocks. And I thought to myself, my mother will die. But you know something? Mama went in. I didn't go in. I was too embarrassed. Uh, 13 years old is a very strange age. You wouldn't be caught dead in a mission. I took her to the door and I waited across the street. An hour and a half went by and the door opened and mom came out. I said, mom, how'd you like it? She says, they make a lot of noise. I said, I told you so. And then she looked at me and she said, I'm going back. I said, what are you going back for? She says, if you only knew. I says, mama, what? What? What'd they do to you? She says, they prayed for me. 
And then she looked at me and said, I'm not afraid anymore. She was always afraid of dying and leaving the four of us. She says, I'm not afraid anymore. And I thought to myself, wow, they did something for her because she's not afraid. And I took her home. And she looked at me and she says, and you know what? I said, what? She says, I'm going to back. I'm going to go every single day of the week. I says, mama, you can't. You're too sick. She says, I'll stay in bed until it's time to go. Hey, folks, my mother, bedridden, on her deathbed, went for nine days straight and never stopped going after that. That was in 1940. Can I tell you something? My mother died in 1979. Didn't God give her her wish? She not only saw her children grow up, but she saw her grandchildren grow up. And she even saw a great-grandchild. So God was good to Mama. I'm telling you all of this to simply tell you that we can stem the tide of our young people. We can stem the tide of our children. We can stem the tide of those that lie before us. And I intend to give my life's blood to the teaching of the gospel for both young and old, but especially for children. Especially for children. You see, it, it's, it's the small factors. It's the little things. It's a little chair. It's little picture papers. It's a sweet teacher. It may be just a lollipop. It's things that attach and tie kids' hearts until there comes a moment where the groundwork has been laid and they move into an area of decision and realize they've got to decide for God. Folks, I don't want kids to be fanatics. I don't want kids to miss life. I don't want kids to enjoy the things that come through God's gifts and talents and the reality of life. I don't want that. I want children to have the fear of God through the glorious love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want. I want that evil be stemmed because you have someone you love so much that you don't want to hurt his feelings. You love him so much that you want to walk with him and talk with him. That you love him so much that you don't want anything to separate you and God. And when your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ is that solid, there is just no, hey, it's just a matter of, I love him and I will live for him. Oh, folks, we'll go through troubles and trials. We'll go through agonies and pains. Uh, we'll make mistakes and we'll run away. Uh, There'll be days that we look and act demon-possessed. There'll be times when we're so confused we don't know if we're coming or going. There'll be times where you stop and you question even the existence of God. But that's okay. That's part of our fragile existence. That's part of our humanity. And it's in those dead, silent times that God lets it go dead so that you just hang in there by the skin of your teeth. When all of a sudden, the word of God 
resurges. Yes, it resurrects right through your being. And what comes forth is not your emotional experience. What comes forth is not your nervous feelings. What comes forth is not your joy because you heard a note you never heard before. What comes forth is the great truth that God is God and he is to be honored and he is to be praised and that that's what you're living for. So we dedicate this program this day to our children. We dedicate it to the fact that we don't have oak chairs. We got a little red one, got a little blue one, got a little yellow one. Hate to give them colors because they'll probably fight next Sunday if they don't get the same color. But we want to give them something. And for four years, almost in a penniless form, not having big bucks, we've managed, we're on our third year, take kids out of the city and into the Poconos. And someday we'll have a place of our own. Yeah, we'll have a camp, we'll be hurling somewhere. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll train them up or we'll bust them up like we do now. But until that day, we will strive with everything that's within us to do God's will. My ushers have for you this morning a letter that I've written to you. I don't want you to read it now. I really don't. I want you to take it home with you. And I want you to read it carefully and make up your mind to just help us. Now let me tell you something about the letter I've written to you. It's a letter written from the bottom of my heart and it tells you about Vacation Bible School and it tells you what it's going to cost us. And it tells us about the sponsorship program. It's going to be a little high this year. It's $100 per child. But you have to realize that we rent the camp and with all its personnel, its cooks and its uh, everything else, because we couldn't run it if we tried. We don't have the prepared personnel, so we rent them out in total force. Plus that, we have the thrill of our Greyhound buses that come and stand in front of our church and take our children away, and that's a thrill for us. We've got a butcher across the street that somebody was looking for us a few, a few months ago. And you know, Crossroads is so small on Castle Hill that if you blink, you pass by. And this man had driven by five times and he was tired. Finally, he stopped in the butcher shop and he said to the butcher, I'm looking for a place called Crossroads. I've been up and down Castle Hill five times. And the butcher smiled at him and came out from behind the counter, walked out to the door. And he says, you see across the street there, between the real estate and Hickey's Bar. That's our key place, Hickey's Bar. I even wrote letters telling everybody how to get to my church. When you see Hickey's Bar, we're right next door. Good advertisement. And, and then he looked in the bar and the, bar, and the butcher said to him, listen, mister, that's a small place, but I got news for you. They do big things in there. It's the small church with the big heart. Now, I didn't even know he knew he existed. So I want you to know this day, and I want you to know from the bottom of my heart. Last year, our budget was not covered for the camp until December. In other words, we went, 
estilo puertorriqueño fiao. We went Spanish style. We owed it. We went in and we told them, we'll pay you later. And he was so kind. Well, 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 what could he do? We, we already, he already, we booked him. And we didn't pay till close to the beginning of the new year. And this year we're starting way ahead of time. We want to get our, we want to get our burdens over with. We want to be interested in the training of our teachers. We want to get as many children as we can. And this year, listen to me. I've had five or six or seven, maybe ten of the 12 year olds from last year and the year before. Say, look, we're going to be 13 next year. Where do we go? And I'd have to say, I don't know where you go. Well, from the two groups, they're now close to 25. And did you know that we've just separated our youth group? And you know how many we have in our youth group? 83. 83 young people in this church. Isn't that marvelous? If you're from the age of 13 to 35, would you stand? Come on, stand. 13 to 35, stand. Stand. That's the youth group. Look at them. That's it. All right, you may be seated. God bless you. Yeah, you didn't know 35 was still youth? Yes, it is. Praise the Lord. Are we ready with the letters? Okay. There's a letter for each of you. And listen, folks, listen to me carefully. There are more copies of this letter for people that wish to take it to their bosses and places of business. And you know there are bosses and there are places of business that could sponsor not only a child, but many children. Don't read it now. We are going into a beautiful presentation for you. And it has to do with our children. All right? Oh, I love this. It's like the seeds my father gave out. He never got the crowd back. All right? Put your letter away and read it. And let it touch your heart. And respond to it as quick as possible. The children will come now. De Debbie, are the children singing now? Will the children take their place? The choir. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's a good-looking crowd. What? Come on. All right, I'll give it to you in a minute. Praise the Lord. Oh, wait till you see what's going to happen here. Okay. We have walking through the temple at this time the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? It's the Christian life that gives off with beautiful things such as faith, hope, charity. All right. Okay. Right in front. Folks, if the sermon seems unfinished, it's purposely that way. It is unfinished. And it never will finish. Because these children are going to go on 
And then they're going to tell their children. And they're going to tell their children. And until Jesus comes, we're going to win children to the kingdom of God.